What we've been doing on uh, our fourth Sunday Bring and Share service is we've been going through kind of a topical or a theme. We've been talking about growing in love. And, and we started this uh, way back at the very, actually I think it was the last week in, of December, talking about what we, we as a leadership of the church felt like was the direction for our church that we want to pray towards for 2016, and that is that we would grow in love. Really want to see God develop us. We, we, we mentioned before last year we had a, a great year. 2015 was a great year for growth in the sense of numbers and finance and even things like baptisms and the number, number of people who have um, made professions of faith. It was a great year as far as that goes. But we recognize that those things are all great things, but we really, God wants us to grow in love. He, he doesn't want us just to be able to kind of tick off boxes, but He wants us to grow in love. And so if you remember, we talked about that growing in love begins with us growing in our understanding of how God loves us. Of the fact that love isn't just something that God does, love is something God is. God is love. That the God of the Bible is the three in one, God Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And those three have had perfect fellowship and love for eternity. And that what Jesus does in coming to this earth is he makes a way for us to enter into that love, to experience that love. So God wants us to grow in that. He wants us to grow in that understanding, not just intellectually, but that we would appreciate, that our affections would be turned towards him because of that. Then a a month later, we talked about uh, growing in love for God, knowing that the priority that God sets for us is that we would love him. So that what motivates us to love others, which we're going to talk about today, comes from us loving Him. We know that God first loves us, therefore we want to love Him in return with the love that He gives us. And then as we love Him, as we're motivated by Him, then that love flows to other people. So today we're going to look at what it means to grow in love for God's people. Now this specifically is about what it means to grow in love with other people of faith. So it's about us as Jesus followers loving other Jesus followers. We're going to talk about growing in love for the world, growing in love for people outside the faith. We're going to talk about what that looks like in a few months. But today we want to focus specifically on what it means for believers to love believers. And I hope if you're not a believer here today, that before you gather all the stones that go, they don't do that, and they don't do that, and they don't do that, you recognize that we are talking about a process. We're talking about growth. We're not talking about being perfect in this. We're talking about growing into this, learning to love. So let's read John chapter 13. We're going to look at just two verses from this chapter before we turn to another section in Scripture. So let's read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll talk about this. Jesus says, verse 34 of John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Father, we recognize that even with verses like this that seem so familiar, almost seem cliche, that we are desperate for you, maybe even more so because of that, we're desperate for you to teach us by your Holy Spirit. 
We pray, God, that you would give us fresh eyes to see this and that, Lord, you would give us fresh power to walk in this, to actually obey this command. Lord, please use this morning to grow us in love. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus here, he, he starts off by saying, a new commandment I give to you, which is interesting. It's interesting because we, we talked about last month when Jesus was questioned about what's the greatest commandment. If you remember back in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, and, and Mark 12 takes place before John 13, because John 13 is happening the night before Jesus is crucified. So in Mark 12, what happens is when Jesus is questioned, what's the great commandment? He says, here's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, and the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's important that we see this. There's a connection between, as I just mentioned earlier, there's a connection between our love for God and our love for others. That our love for God becomes the motivation to love others, but our love for God also needs to be expressed in our love for others. But what's interesting is Jesus says here, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment. And you wonder if the disciples are sitting there, they're thinking, wait a second, a new commandment? Um, You've already told us this. Besides, the Old Testament scripture tells us this. It tells us that we're supposed to love one another. How is this a new commandment? Well, Jesus says this is a new commandment because he says, notice, as I have loved you, love one another. As I have loved you. Now, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, this is not about saying, oh, we need to first have love for ourselves. That's when once we learn to have love for ourselves, then we'll be able to love others. That's rubbish. It really is. That was popular in the 80s and the 90s, this whole self esteem nonsense, but it is nonsense. Because the Bible teaches that we already love ourselves. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, no man has ever hated his own flesh, but loves it and cherishes it. Think about it, guys. You see a, a group picture, who's the first person you look for? You. We love ourselves. Sometimes in our self-love, we start having self-loathing because we think we deserve to be better. I should look better. I should be better. I should have more hair, whatever the case might be. In our self-love and our self-focus, we can sometimes turn that into self-loathing. But the truth is, we already love ourselves. So that when the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's saying, listen, have as much commitment to them as you would to yourself. But Jesus is giving a new commandment. He's setting the standard higher. He's setting himself as the standard. Jesus is saying, listen, as I have loved you, so you love one another in the same way. Ever thought about what a heavy, high standard that is? Anybody been crucified for a friend lately? See, Jesus talks about this this need. It's interesting, too. When he says this in John 13, what does he just finish doing? He's just finished washing the disciples' feet. I wish we had time to go through the story. We don't. But just to sum up, if you remember that they're in this upper room. It's the night before they're they're, going to be, Jesus is going to be crucified. They're having a Passover supper together. At the end of Passover, Jesus does what what the lowest slave of a household could not be forced to do. He starts washing his disciples' feet. He takes off his robe. He wraps a a towel around him. He gets in the position of a servant, and he begins to wash their dirty, stinky, smelly feet. 
And they're so blown away by this, Peter says, don't do it. And Jesus says, no, look, you need to let me do this. And after he washes their feet, he says, look, as I've done for you, I want you to do also for me. So he's just already kind of blown their minds with this practical expression of service. And now he's saying, look, here's a new commandment. What I'm commanding you to do, and make sure you understand this, this is a command. He is commanding this. This is not an option. Jesus isn't saying, listen, I have a suggestion to make your life better. Why don't you try loving each other? No. He's saying, I'm commanding you. You call me Lord, Lord, I am commanding you, if you follow me, that you need to love like me. How blown away would these guys be? How maybe afraid were they? Nervous? Feeling like, ah, love like you? Who could love like you? And they hadn't even seen the full demonstration of the love of God yet. They hadn't even seen Christ be crucified. They hadn't even experienced the coming upon of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They hadn't even had revealed to them the fullness of the love of God yet. And yet they're probably still thinking already, how can we possibly love like him? But Jesus doesn't let them get out of this. He doesn't say, look, this is just you know, an idea or this is just kind of something I think you should think about. He gives a command. Now, this is important, I think, because when it comes to love, sometimes we can treat it like optional or we, we, we treat it like it's just this grand ideal. Like, love is, this isn't a, a nice thing. Love is lovely. And we like the idea of love, but we don't really like to try to do it. We treat it like it's an option. Love is something that maybe grandparents do or paid holy guys maybe do. Gandhi maybe, he tried to love, you know. Just those, those occasional, strange, quirky people who seem to kind of do this. But no, Jesus said, anyone who follows me, here's the standard, love like me. Now, this is something Jesus said more than once. Uh, in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus will say to them, look, if you love me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep my commandments. And then in John chapter 15, listen, he'll say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is important because when we're talking about this love, this, this, this command to love like Jesus, when we're saying that it is a command, we don't want to think this is a command that earns us something, that obedience to this command is something that earns us a position. Because Jesus, when he was, Jesus in being obedient to the Father, he wasn't earning some sort of a greater status or even a better relationship with the Father. His obedience to the Father was based on the position, the relationship that he already had. And so the obedience was just the normal right relationship. A son obeys the father. Jesus obeyed the father by what? Loving. And Jesus is calling his disciples to do the same thing. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you command. I want you to love the way I love. The way I love my father, I want you to love my father. The way I loved you, I want you to love one another. Let that be the natural thing. Remember what Jesus said, if you call me Lord, Lord, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? What does he say to do? Love the way he loves. Now, we've got to let this sink in because I think, again, we all love the idea of doing this, but how often are we disobedient to love? How often are we slow to love? Now, this might seem really crazy obvious, but notice he also says, as I have loved you, you also should have love you also should love one another. And the idea here is pretty simple. It might seem really obvious that you can't love 
or love cannot be practiced without other people. Duh. Well, I say duh, but it's amazing how we will think about love, talk about love, blog about love, but not actually get together with people so that we can love them. Now, this is why, listen, this is why it's crucial that we make sure that we are committing to times that we can be together. This is why the Bible says this, listen, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day is referring to when Jesus comes back. So the closer we get to Jesus coming back, the more we should say, hey, let's get together. For what reason? So we can stir one another towards love and good works. You can't do that if you're by yourself. Listen, if you miss church on a Sunday, yeah, you can go back and watch the video and hear the message, but guess what you can't do? Be with those people on that day and love. This is why when I've had people who, who uh, were with us for a season and said, well, look, we really want to find a church a good church, can you find us a, a church where we can go to and the teaching is like what we get at Servants Church and you know, everything begins to kind of revolve around the teaching. We want to go find a church where there's this great teaching. And I always say, listen, you can get great teaching on the internet, but you can't get as good fellowship. You can't love the people on the internet, at least not the way God would call us to do it, at least not to the full extent God would call us to do it. Please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying good teaching is not important, it's crucially important, but what I'm trying to say is what Jesus is calling us to, the standard he's setting, is that we need to practice the love, and if we're going to practice that, that means we have to be in proximity to other people. We have to know people, people have to know us. I'm always amazed by how much resistance we get to these little things called name tags. I mean, seriously, we, were, we used to do this like every bring in share Sunday for a while, and I got to where like ladies would kind of wear their hair long and cover their name tag. Guys would put it on the inside shirt and wear their jacket. It's like, why are you so afraid? It's just, I mean, this is a British thing. Why are you so afraid to let people know your name? Why are we so afraid for people to get to know each other? And I'll tell you, I think it's two reasons. One, we're, we're afraid we're going to get exposed and people won't love us. But you know what I think it else it is? The other reason? We're lazy and we don't want to love. It's true, isn't it? It's too hard for us to meet somebody else. It's too hard for us to take the, spend the emotional energy that it takes to kind of find out where they're from, what they're about, what makes them tick, to listen to what their life story is and to, con- and to intentionally say, all right, God help me, how am I supposed to love this person? But this is what God calls us, this is what God commands us. Jesus sets a standard. Listen, when, when God the Son comes from heaven to earth, was that just like, Hey, let's go check out what's going on there. Maybe that temple's got some good music. Let's see that. Yeah, that's what I'll do. The angels sing pretty good, but let's go down to the temple in Jerusalem and see what it's like. Is that his mindset? Is that what he's thinking? No, he came for a purpose. What was his purpose? To demonstrate the love of God to us. He knew people. The man who wrote down these words in John's gospel, this man laid his head on Jesus' chest. That's how close they were. Only my sons do that with me. (laughs) They were that close. 
This is a man who Jesus, as he came as a man, he came and he pursued this kind of relationship. He was with people. Read the Gospels. What do you see? Jesus is surrounded by people, mobbed by people, new people, called people by name. He's going through a town. There's just a short tax collector up in a tree. What does Jesus say? Zacchaeus. I know you. Let's have dinner. He was with people. Guys, this is so important. It's so important that we recognize, listen, that, when we, that we, we need to come together on purpose. Listen, this will revolutionize what you get out of church. So often what happens is we go to church when we feel like it or we go to church and we think, oh, I like the music or I like the messages or I like the children's ministry or I like the facility or whatever the case might be. We go to what we like, but this is not why God calls us to come together, is it? He says, I want you to come together so you can stir one another up toward love. That's what he commands. That's what he desires. He sets that standard. It also means, though, this, because we come together as sinners, don't we? It means we also need to be prepared for difficulty. This is why we have so many other one another commands in Scripture. Here's just a couple more. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, it says members should have the same care for one another. I love the fact that it says should <laughs> because the Corinthian church like us struggled to do that. How do we have the same care for each other? Listen, can I, can I give a practical exhortation on this? Don't wait for everyone else to obey. <laughs> Just obey. Don't wait for everyone else to love. Just Start loving. Start caring for people. But also, guess what? People are going to get it wrong. This is why the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, and, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Notice, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You know what this means? Listen, if God commands us, if he says, look, Jesus sets the standard for what love is. He sets the standard for what love looks like. He says, look, here's the command I give you. As I love, I want you to love each other. But guess what? As we come together and we fail in that, we're going to have to forgive each other when we fail in that because we're going to fail a lot. But even that, you know what that shows? Even in our failure, you know what it shows when we forgive each other? The love of God. Because how quick is he to forgive us? This is what he calls us to. In fact, listen, it's this love that Jesus sets the standard for, it's this love that identifies us as Jesus' disciples. Look what he says in verse 35. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, look, this is how you're going to be identified. Not by your doctrinal statement, as important as that is. Not by the structure of your services, as needful as it is to have some sort of a structure. Not by how great your programs is or how beautiful your buildings are. You're going to be known by how you love each other. That's what you're going to be identified by. Now, I want you to quickly turn to 1 Corinthians 13. This is the other section I want you to look at. 1 Corinthians 13. Again, another really familiar section of Scripture. So much so, again, it can feel cliché. Jesus sets the standard for love. Love is what identifies us as his disciples. So let's talk more specifically. What's this love look like? 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Okay? Notice what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, I want you to notice this, the things that he talks about here. First, he talks about things like speaking in tongues. If you don't know what that is, what that is, according to Scripture, speaking in tongues is when somebody has a supernatural ability to speak a a language that they couldn't know naturally. So like, if I could speak Japanese without any kind of studying, just boom, the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and I can praise God in Japanese, that would be a gift of tongues. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay? People have the gifts of tongues still today. We believe that still happens today. So when he says, if I had the gift of tongues, so that I could do this, I could even, and even uses what I think is hyperbole, like exaggeration for effect. He says, even if I could pray in the tongues of angels, whatever angelic language would sound like, even if I could do that, he says, guess what? If I don't have love... I'm a sounding brass. Clang, 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 clang. That's all I am without love. In other words, he says, look, love is greater than your personal experience. One of the things about the gift of tongues, the Bible says, is it's the only gift that God gives that when someone can speak in tongues, they can edify themselves. They can build themselves up. All other gifts are meant for everyone else's edification. Tongues can be used It's supposed to be used for others' edification, but it can be used for self-edification if you pray in tongues on your own. So even if you have this grand experience with God, guess what? It's not nearly as great as love. This is why the Bible says if you drop down to, uh, in fact, I think it's going to be on the screen, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul says, look, I want you to pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts or the work of the Spirit, but especially that you may prophesy. Often what happens when churches begin to make their focus on the spiritual gifts, we want to see people be able to pray in tongues. We want to see people be able to to be involved in healings. We want to see people prophesy. And and our focus becomes the spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with uh, having the spiritual gifts in operation. It's a very good and healthy thing. But when that becomes our focus, guess what happens? Oftentimes, it takes over for love. And we're not commanded to pursue those things. We're commanded to pursue love and desire those things. See, so, so much what happens, and we, we are a charismatic church, so what we can slip into or what churches from our stream can slip into is we can pursue this kind of dynamic spiritual experience, this personal experience and think, yes, if I have that, then I'm at the pinnacle of what it means to be a Jesus follower. And Paul, in wanting to say how those gifts are supposed to be used, and 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 is saying, no, that's not it at all. Here's how you know you're maturing, you're reaching that pinnacle. It's how you love people. He talks about in verse 2, this gift of prophecy, which you'd be able to say a specific word to a specific person or a people group at a specific time. Prophecy. He says, if I could understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, in other words, if I could be this person that has great theological understanding, Or if I had this great faith where I could remove mountains, I could do anything that God called me to do. Again, I could have this uh, dynamic ministry 
But if I don't have love, it's pointless. Love's greater than the dynamic ministry. I mean, he even goes so far as to talk about if I give all my goods to feed the poor and if I gave my body to be burned. Think about this. I mean, how I would be impressed if any one of you said, came to me and I found out I've sold all that I had and I gave to the poor. I'd be impressed. But if you don't have love, God wouldn't be impressed at all. Do you understand? Jesus is wanting us to see, the scriptures are wanting us to see that love is about the motivation that we have. Do you know why? Listen, because Jesus is about changing our motivation. He's about changing our hearts. You know the first miracle that God does for the believer is give him a new heart. You know what new heart means? New desires. doesn't mean that you don't ever want things that you used to want. It means that you want Jesus more than you want those things. You want to know God more than you want those things. That's the first thing God does to us when we come to him for salvation is he gives us a new heart. And that new heart is a love for God and a love for others. And it starts as a seed and it grows from there. This is why this has to be the priority. Listen, I know it doesn't always feel good to serve. I know that, that you long for times when you feel close to God and you have a dynamic personal experience. I recognize that you want to serve God in a way that you see God do great things. I understand that. I want that too. And I so appreciate how many of you sacrificially give to this church, but guess what? Unless we have love, it's pointless. God calls us to grow in this motivation. Do you know why I believe, I, my personal conviction is, and I think Adam would back me up on this as well, my personal conviction is the reason we don't see more manifestations of the Holy Spirit, I mean, the reason we don't see more supernatural things happen is because we don't pursue love. You can have all the prayer meetings in the world because you want to see God the Spirit move, but if you don't want to love people, you're grieving the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. Do you know why I think that we're not having the impact that God would would, would maybe, maybe want to do more. Maybe God wants to do more with our little church. It's because we don't pursue love. We'd rather be a part of something successful. Guys, let's be honest. Isn't that why oftentimes why, and this happens in the Calvary Chapel movement, happens in our group of churches as well, but isn't often the case people go to a big church because it's big? They must be successful. I want to be associated with someone who's successful. Am I, am I making that up? Does that not happen? Have we not been tempted towards the same things? But what are we called to? We're called to love. That's what identifies us as Jesus followers. We're called to grow in that. Now, he goes on to say in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, he now begins to kind of describe, he gives us a definition of what love is. Notice what he says. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, in other words, doesn't want what somebody else has. Love does not parade itself, it's not trying to show off, it's not puffed up, it doesn't have a too high self-esteem, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, in other words, doesn't get angry easily, thinks no evil. Now, you guys have probably done this before, and I know I've had you do this before when we've taught this section before, but have you ever kind of replaced the word love with your name? 
John suffers long and is kind. John does not envy. John does not parade himself. John is not puffed up. I think I'm going to stop there because it's embarrassing. <laughs> we read that, you put your name there and you go, ah, oh, I don't think that really describes me. But you put Jesus there. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus doesn't parade himself. He's not puffed up. He doesn't behave rudely. He doesn't seek his own. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. See, this is what happens. This, this is what this is talking about. This is talking about the kind of commitment that is saying, okay, your needs are more important than my needs. I'm going to suffer along with you. I'm going to endure the difficulties in our relationship because your needs are more important than my needs. I'm going to suffer along. This is about, look, you, you might be behave rudely towards me, but I don't want to render rudeness for rudeness. So I want to love you. I want to commit to you because, again, your needs are more important than my needs. This is the heart of Christ. It's me being committed to what's best for you. The Bible says in the book of Philippians, and this is all in the context of thinking like Jesus, having a mindset like Jesus. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. That's love. Your needs are more important than my needs. Okay, can we at least admit that that is the standard that God holds us to? This is what God's calling us to? This is what he wants us to grow into? And can we at least admit that we fall short of that? Can we just be honest with that? That this is really what God is calling us to? And we do fall short of this. But look at verses 6 and 7, chapter 13. He, he continues to say, Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, love isn't just about me committing to what's best for you. It's about me committing to what God says is best for you. Love, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. Now, this doesn't mean, listen, this doesn't mean that we spend our time constantly kind of wanting to expose each other's sins. This is not what this is about. We can do that somehow. In fact, I was going to teach out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, you can, you can read it later, where, where Paul talks about, in the context of, of loving one another and growing a love for one another, he talks about uh, minding your own business, <laughs> not being so meddlesome, not so being so busybody in everybody's business, kind of just like, hey, you know what, do what you got to do, don't be so into everything. But it is about this idea that we are most happy for people when we see evidence of God's grace in our life. We're, we're most blessed, we're rejoicing most when we see people growing closer to Jesus. And so we want to do whatever we can to help people grow closer to Jesus. That's rejoicing in the truth. It means that we're grieved when we see somebody slipping into bondage, slipping into sinful habits and behaviors. It grieves us. It breaks our heart because we love those people. 
But it also means, listen, because he also says, listen, love bears all things. In other words, we, we endure, endure during those, those seasons with people. Love believes all things, which means if we know someone's a Jesus follower, but they're struggling, we still believe, you know, God, we're praying for them. You, you keep us, we believe you're going to keep that person and restore that person because, Lord, Lord, we do believe and we hope and we endure all things because we love these people. Guys, this is what church is meant to look like. It's meant to look like us loving each other. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 about operating in such a way as a local church that people come in, unbelievers come in, and they say, surely God is in this place. And you connect that to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and it's obvious that at least a portion of that is us loving each other. This is why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. In other words, this is not, again, about you trying to work for something or you're, in, you're a slave and you have to do all things that you're told. This is a, you're, you're free, but you've been free not so you can do what you want to do, an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. This is why we encourage you to commit to a small group. Whether it's a Wednesday night house group or the once a month women's study or the once a month men's study or the once a month big group on a Friday night or youth group or whatever it is that you would commit to a small group of people so that you can know them and they can know you and you can actually put love into practice. This is why we call every one of you who considers Servants Church your home to commit to serving in some sort of a ministry. Why? So you can put love in the practice. Now, can you be in a small group and serve really faithfully in some ministry and still not have love? Of course. That's what he said in the first three verses of chapter 13. But listen, if we're not willing to say, okay, God, we want to be obedient to this command. We don't want to lower the standard. You call us to love the way Jesus loved. You call us to commit to this, Lord. We want to grow in this. If we're going to do that, guess what? It takes commitment. In fact, really, I think when we talk about love, the agape love of God, the, the, nearest, the nearest word we have in English really isn't love. Because we think of love and it can mean all kinds of things. The nearest word we have in English is commitment. Because that's what God does to us. The history of God and his people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is one of covenant. It's a commitment made in love where God says, I am committed to you. God wants us to grow in this. He wants us to grow in this. Can I ask you a really serious question? Who knows you here in this church? Now, if you're visiting for the first time, sorry, this doesn't really apply to you. <laughs> this is new, I know. But if this is the church that God's called you to commit to, who knows you? Who do you know? Seriously. Who knows your junk? You know, Adam knows all my junk. If he wanted to, he could easily get me fired. <laughs> 
and, and I him. <laughs> and we do that on purpose. You know why? Because we want to grow in love. Who knows you? Who do you know? See, guys, listen. The Bible says that love is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce. What God wants to supernaturally do in us is to teach us to love the way Jesus does. He wants us to grow in this. Everything else flows from this. Your ministry, your own enjoyment of God himself, our, our, our witness to the world, our sending people out in mission, the way we do our services, our marriages, our parenting, Everything flows from us saying, Lord, we want to grow in this love. We want to be obedient to this command. Have we left the standard? Have we said, nah, it's impossible. No one can do this. Ah, I've not really seen it happen yet, so I'll settle for just showing up. Or do we believe God's spirit can do this? That the same spirit who indwelt our Lord Jesus, who indwells us if we're born again, that that spirit, he can produce this love in us. Do we believe this? Do you believe it?